Welcome, Gassers, to this episode of Gascast. I'm your host, Tom Metcalf, and I'm joined by Niall Cooper, director of Fair Game UK and Don's fan. Welcome, Niall. Welcome, everybody. Good to hear you. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. Again, obviously, we spoke in the summer when uh, when Rovers joined Fair Game. So this is a, a follow-on now that the uh, fan-led review has been uh, released. It came out in uh, November. I'm miles behind on my interviews, so um, apologies. We should have spoken to you a bit earlier. So the review aimed to explore ways of improving the governance, ownership and financial stability of clubs in English football and engage extensively with fans to ensure any recommendations are led by fans' experience and interests. So I think the first question for me, um, presumably Fair Game were pretty involved in in the uh, report process for that one. Yeah, massively so. So we were working with the uh, government for quite a lot of time, long time through it and speaking to loads of different people. And when it came out, to describe ourselves as cock-a-hoop is probably not far off where we were. So, I mean, um, we wrote a manifesto. We launched that in September. And then when we looked at it, compared it with the Fandom Review document that came out, there were loads and loads and loads of stuff in it. And we, we did an analysis of all the recommendations. And it was around 85% of what we wanted, which is pretty damn good and the other the other some of the other recommendations in there were things that we hadn't even talked about or discussed such as having a pint uh, in view of the pitch or wasn't actually part of our recommendation so apologies to all gas gas fans out there we didn't really think about that one we maybe missed a trick but that would have probably took this over into around 90 percent of mark so we're, we're, we're really happy with it um you know it's, it's it's a good document there's a few bits and bolts we want to tidy up and we'll be working on those in the new year but yeah otherwise yeah not a bad not a bad piece of work um you know just we, we're looking at a radical overhaul, overhaul of football in, in 2022 so pretty good yeah definitely um so let's go over some of the recommendations the main ones um just in a bit more detail um i'm gonna i'm gonna do a bit of verbatim reading so the first one is iref which is the government should create a new independent regular regulator for english football established by an act of parliament based upon specialist business regulation adapted by the f- uh, to the football industry. IRES should operate a licensing system for prof- professional men's football. Um, what does that mean in kind of like, essentially, human language? <laughs> great, a great question. An independent regulator basically makes sure clubs don't do reckless financial stuff. That's basically it. So, you know, make sure clubs aren't spending more than they earn, like uh, investing properly, that sort of stuff. Um, What it means in terms of the kind of model, that actual nice bit of language that you said in there is stuff that's a straight lift from one of our recommendations, which was great for fair game. Um, In effect, it is looking at financial regulations that exist in other industries and applying them to football. Um, So it's, Things like having enough cash reserves in your bank balance to pay for what you've been contracted to do for at least the next six months. Something, I mean, the actual the actual kind of gold standard is three years, but football is way behind gold standard. So we'd be moving towards three years, but having enough in the bank so that if you know your owners work, walked away, you can cover everything for at least six months. That's kind of what that is um there's there's more to it it's a bit more you know nuanced but that's the kind of top line it means 
financial security for every club being guaranteed. So for a club like Rovers that lose money every year, would it mean that we'd have to basically cut our cloth cut our cloth accordingly to how much money we generate? Because at the moment there's different rules between the Premier League, the FL, the FA on like kind of how much you can lose depending on how much your owner puts in and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so what we're talking about is moving towards the gold standard of actually being properly financially prudent. Um, so yeah, it would mean cutting your cloth, but in the case of Rovers, Rovers are a relatively a big club. So if you're asking everybody to cut their own cloth, then it means you're levelling the playing field for everybody. So ultimately, what it means is the revenue you get in is what you should be able to spend going out. So for some clubs in League Two, you've got basically spending way, way, way above what they actually get in, and that brings it down. Now, in football across the board, most clubs are spending more than they should do. So once you start levelling it and making it fair, then actually for Bristol Rovers, it would mean benefit long term because you would be then looking at what your support base is what your revenue base is being the the amount that you actually spend um so yeah it might mean a bit of a cut but long term and a comparison to everybody else will put you on the rise yeah so what would happen like we saw the the takeover of newcastle recently and you know january's coming up and they're looking to spend how would it work with kind of yeah these people who just want to spend 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 would they be limited by they same rules to an extent but i think the big thing is is what fair game is espousing which is our sustainability index which i love and uh, you know lots of people fall in love with the sustainability index is a really simple little mechanism which is that we put every club gets rated on four different criteria you know we've talked about this before but it's financial sustainability good governance equality standards and fan engagement and that then you get your money that's distributed down the pyramid is allocated to clubs that score well against those four. Um, so when I mean reallocated as well, it's the abolition of parachute payments, it's the redistribution of solidarity payments. And that actually makes a massive, massive difference to clubs lower down the pyramid. So for a club like Rovers, you know, relatively well-run club on all those other criteria, it means something around the equivalent of an extra three million a year. Um, which is life-changing for Bristol Rovers, right? It makes a massive, massive difference. So the whole bit that you talked about earlier on about, you know, spending more than you, you know, whatever you're kind of lose making losses, that just goes out the window and you become a club that is profitable, able to invest in developing long-term revenue streams, making you financially sustainable for forevermore. Um, and that that's done by just abolition of parachute payments, right? That's those three or four clubs that get relegated and get shed loads of money for being shit, um, you know, saying like, no longer you're going to get shit and that it's going to be helping all those clubs in League One, League Two, National League, National League, North, South, Women's League, Women's Game, all that. It's just massively, you know, it just changes the whole way football is. Um, that's all in the family review, a lot of that, but we're just putting it together, putting it into one little, nice, neat little package, the Sustainability Index. Make everybody know those words. Every Bristol Rovers fan, go onto the terraces and say, right, the sustainability index, that's the way forward. Um, you know, we get that on the uh, on the, uh, on the statute books. Then, frankly, football, uh, community football, lower league football is, is financially secure for a very, very long time. And it just becomes really transformational uh, for clubs like yourselves. Yeah, definitely. Sustainability index, repeat it, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I love the sustainability index t-shirts. I want it everywhere. <laughs> 
Oh, absolutely. Um, so that actually, um, one of the other recommendations was uh, there should be a new corporate governance code to support a long-term sustainable future of the game. This should be a mandatory for all professional clubs with common requirements tailored to different leagues. My question was going to be, is that basically jargon for the sustainability index or is that not quite made it in yet? The thing with the founder review is that all the elements of the sustainability index are, are in there, but they're on like page 23 and page 96 and page 103 or whatever. So that is one of the elements. So you're completely right. Um, what the sustainability index is puts that into one place. So it means that, uh, you know, you're, you're judged on all these different criteria and good governance is basically like, you know, having good transparency, good accounts, you know, so you can actually see where your, how your clubs own, how your clubs run, that fans have the opportunity to kind of sit in and, and see stuff and we can be properly um, analysing things. You know, there, there are things, there's this thing called B Corp um, that exists at the moment. It's a way of judging good governance. So taking quite a lot of fat, good governance structures and, and looking at it and putting it into football because it doesn't exist at the moment. Um, or, you know, there are good clubs and there are bad clubs. And this just puts everybody in the same level, same judgment. Um, which just makes it a lot easier. It's gonna, there's going to be a few people that go grumble a bit, but you know what we're doing is we're just making it much more accountable, which is basically the, the right thing. So that's that bit of the family review is great. Let's put it into sustainability mix, make it uh, kind of all nice in the same place. I don't know if I mentioned that word recently, sustainability mix, but I might mention it. <laughs> there you go. When's, when are you getting the tattoo? We're just here. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm not a big fan of tattoos. I'm quite rare like that as a footy fan. So I'll probably just have to make do the t-shirt and make a scarf and a bubble hat. <laughs> um, so one of the other recommendations which is uh, related to this is um, quality, diversity and inclusion. EDI plans should be mandatory for all clubs with EDI action plans regularly assessed by IREF. What kind of things would that kind of cover? I'm thinking her game two would be one of those kind of um, one of those schemes that might get involved with that. Yeah, you know we both love her game two. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You know, Anne's budget is, is superb. Um, so yeah, I mean it would be things like that. Um, definitely an EDI plan. I think is really important. The issue with it a lot is that some of these things are, are given lip service, and you know it's, it's about being out, outcome led which is the big difference. So it's not a tick box exercise saying, well, I've got this on my website. I've got, you know, this particular policy. It's actually, does it deliver change? And that's quite a big difference. So that's what we would be looking for and pushing for at Fair Game. And hopefully that's what the ED&I uh, regulations will look at. And I think the key with this one, and this is why that wonderful sustainability index is really important, um, is because at the moment, the only sanctions that are in the family review is a loss of license as your kind of ultimate sanction. Um, so if, say, Newcastle United, great example here, didn't have a good EDI plan in place, right, would the independent regulator say, well, well actually, the only, the only sanction they've got is to lose their license. But I'm not seeing Newcastle United, now, nicely connected with Saudi Arabia, for those who, who may or may not know, um, losing their license because of failure on EDI. So you need to have a different way of, of, you know, punishing them if you want, or like offering them extra money. And for me, that's where the index comes into play because you've lose points for having a shit EDI policy. 
And so there actually would be a sanction automatically available. So you'd be encouraging clubs to really embed you know, I think it's really important. Um, the other thing that we're doing fair game is we're doing a, a report right now into how EGNI actually financially benefits football clubs. You know, the actual reality of attracting in more female fans, more people from different communities, if they feel welcome within a ground. I mean, it should really be a no brainer. You know, you've got half the population basically feeling like, well, I'm going to face sexism. I'm going to face all sorts of issues if I get into a ground, being scared about coming to a ground as fair game too. I like, you know, if you start having those people feeling like it's comfortable and it's welcoming to be in the ground, you're suddenly opening up your market. I mean, it should be a financial no-brainer, but there are a lot of clubs that think this is kind of mission creep or this is like something we shouldn't be doing. But it's it just makes, not only does it make moral sense, it makes economic sense. And that's really where I think we need to be pushing that forward. And, you know, if you want clubs to be sustainable, then EDI should be like an absolute given. Yeah, I completely agree on that one. Um, one of the so you mentioned kind of good uh, clubs and bad clubs are also good owners and bad owners. At the moment, the um, owners and directors test is should we say flimsy? Uh, one of the recommendations is that new owners and directors tests for clubs should be established by IREF, replacing the three existing tests to ensure that only good custodians and qualified directors can run these vitally important community and cultural assets. What changes do you see to the, the owners and directors ch- test off the back of this? I think there are, there are a number of things that need to come into play, right? Because it shouldn't just be owners. Direct, the director's bit is really important here um, because what you should be looking at is having people who have the right qualifications or skill sets to take on those key roles within football clubs. So, you know, the classic ones, like your commercial director, your financial director, your operations director, as well as your CEO, those people actually need to have the qualifications to hold those positions. That's kind of an obvious one. You know, you, you shouldn't really have your mate down the pub like suddenly taking on financial director, you know, because they're, they're frankly going to be messing up. If you made me financial director of a footy club, I'd, it'd be like wonderful experience. You know, I've, I know a bit of maths, but like, frankly, I'll be a bit of a liability. Um, you know, same with other elements. You need to have people that know what they're doing. So that's absolutely fundamentally important. But equally, it's that kind of, um, quick way of checking so you know you shouldn't whack with Newcastle United is that I mean I believe the decision was wrong personally but it should have been done much quicker so the fact that those Newcastle fans were left in limbo for months and months and months you needed a system that just said well actually hold on you're you're just appointing directors that advocate the killing of journalists and the bad treatment of women right um they shouldn't have been anywhere near. They should have just been there like, this is a straight no. You, you failed like owners and directors test 101. Like, that's what it should have been. It didn't exist because the processes weren't robust enough. The rules weren't robust enough. And also it was being judged by people that were already in the game with vested interest. So you need to take that whole vested interest out. You need to have a kind of proper scrutiny panel that just says, right, well, this is straight obvious no. Um, and it needs to be done quickly. And I think that's what's really important. I mean, for me, it's, it's really simple. If you've committed a crime that uh, would have been deemed a crime in the UK in the last 10 years, then frankly, you shouldn't be an, uh, an owner or a director of a football club. That's pretty obvious to me. And, um, you know, when you look at what situations with Saudi Arabia, you know, there's, they've committed a whole load of things that just wouldn't be allowed in the UK. And um, so it's like straight no. If that's where you, that's where you look at. And, and that should apply to all levels. And you've got 
a whole load of, and it also means you have to have a clear structure. So you need to know who your owners and directors are. And the lower down the pyramid, that's really blurry. Um, so it should be just really obvious. Sounds straightforward, but you know, the fact that we live in a system that doesn't do that, you know, I mean, I just, I just think it's, it's really, really simple processes that need to be put into place and uh, they just don't exist because self-interest and vested interest is too rife within certain levels of football. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, a couple of ones for the fans. Uh, well, a couple of the recommendations that are solely aimed at the fans. Um, as every club's most important stakeholder, supporters should be properly consulted by their clubs in taking key decisions by means of a shadow board. Effective supporter engagement should be a licensed condition and overseen by IREF. So at the moment, uh, Rovers, we obviously have a board and then we have a supporters club. Would they be the obvious kind of shadow board or would you need a shadow board that then has the right kind of qualifications as we were just speaking about? It's a really interesting one. Um, on the shadow board, where fair game goes to is you know, you're looking large at your supporters trust or you know, some supporters clubs or whatever. But having, again, the qualifications that you would need. So... For me, where you need to move towards is a situation that imagine if your entire ball were hit by a bus and your supporters trust had to take over the club tomorrow. They need to have the skill set and the ability to do so. So what I would advocate for is all supporters trust moving to a situation where you have the people who have those skill sets in place to do it. So you have people there that can go, well, well actually, Tomorrow I could be your operations director. Tomorrow I could be your financial director. Tomorrow I could be your commercial director. Tomorrow I could be your CEO. Um, that's kind of where you need to move towards to make sure that those transitions are doable. So, you know, effectively what it means is that over time, as we've known so many football clubs have gone into administration, have gone into problems that your, you know, your preferred bidder is your supporters trust because they've got the skill sets to just step in straight away. And if we're looking at having football clubs that are moving towards um, not spending more than they earn, then your supporters trust becomes the perfect body to take over as a shadow board. And it also means that there you've got people that are holding scrutiny, but also helping the owners of the club. So right, actually, you know, if you talk about this, I'm here to help, not I'm here to criticise, but I'm here to be an asset. And I think that's where you need to move towards. That's a big mindset change for a lot of clubs to realise that supporters are there to be know assets to be really helping that club move on and not to think they're a, a nuisance which to be honest we've heard that from some clubs in the EFL that they will see their fans as a nuisance we need to move away from that to see them as an asset and you know to see that it's a really good healthy relationship between fan and board yeah the the relationship between the club and the sports club hasn't always been Fantastic. We did have um, a couple of fan directors for a while, um, but that kind of um, fell away. And then the sports club got a new, a whole new load of new people, and it seems to kind of slowly be building up. But yeah, it's nothing compared to having like a full-on shadow board that they can, you know, they can go to. How would it work at Don's? Because you're obviously fan-owned, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's a weird one because we we sit above all the directors. So we appoint all the directors, really. Um, it's, it's not quite as simple as that. Um, you know, we're not perfect either. I have to say that, to be really honest. You know, we've got a few things we have to sort out, a few issues that we need to find out, and that's always the case. Um, 
but you know we we look at the remit we look at what we're trying to do we look at what we're trying to achieve and we set that um so in a way our club is you know our shadow board is our board that's what's a bit difficult um so you know ultimately we might have to think of a weird situation where we train up our elected board people give them the skill sets to step in if, if that was ever to be needed but we're in a weird position because you know we are we are already the board so you know our shadow is our self it's a bit weird <laughs> um but you know it's, it's yeah it's, it's it's different i mean what you really ideally want is that everybody who's an elected board member is the shadow of one of our already paid staff that's probably where we should be moving towards i mean at the moment i'm the shadow for the communications team so i kind of shadow the the head of comms at Wimbledon. so i've been looking at the jds been looking at all that sort of stuff hand in hand and looking at how we progress and that's probably where we're beginning to move to with all the other directors uh, at AFC Wimbledon. yeah it makes makes perfect sense um, it's well, not that easy though. It makes sense, but it's not that easy. So, no, yeah, no. I mean, the shadow boards is it's a brand new thing, and it will be. Um, it will take time to implement. One of the things when we spoke in the summer that kind of blew my mind was um, the golden share. So one of the recommendations is there should be additional protection for key items of club heritage through a golden share requiring support or consent and overseen by IRF. What um, what things in the heritage would it cover? You know, this I think is absolutely essential, and I think it will be a game changer for a lot of fans and and that sort of stuff. But it's your name, it's uh, the location of where you play. There's a, an argument to be said about whether it's your ground or your location. And having spoken to a lot of that, it's your location rather than your ground because some grounds are quite decrepit. But as long as you're not moving like I don't know, uh, Ten miles away, or probably should be less than that. I'm a Wimbledon fan, so you know, two, three miles away from where your ground is now, then that for me feels sensible. Um, then obviously your nickname, your club colours, your club badge, all of those sort of things should be on the say so of the supporters. Um, there's a different in terms of an argument about what percentage that should be and who those supporters are. So you know, you you will be looking potentially at supporters trusts and season ticket holders as being the people that can make that decision. And then you look at what percentage should that be for those decisions to be changed, um, whether it's 50 or 75%. I'm an applicant for 75%. Um, I think these are really big fundamental decisions. So you need to look at uh, an overwhelming majority. You don't want to be down to 51 v 49 because it just, you know, you split your fan base. So it needs to be quite significant in my, in my mind. But I think the introduction of it, would be a real safeguard for what football fans really want. You know, you don't want, we know we've seen Cardiff City playing red, we've seen Hull City Tigers, we've seen what happened to Wimbledon. You know, those sort of things that just have to be straight nose. Um, and that's, I think, where we need to move towards that protection. Uh, and I think that's, that's uh, it should be given. And you're seeing quite a lot of clubs moving towards that direction anyway already. So I think we just, by formalising it through the independent regulator would be, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the more controversial ones um, was there is a strong case for additional contributions from the Premier League to further support the future of the football pyramid, including a new solidarity transfer levy paid by top flight 
uh, on buying players from overseas or from other Premier League clubs. There is a current levy, isn't there? It's a very small levy, and I'm not a completely okay with this. I mean, to be honest, this was something that we hadn't looked at with Fair Game, but when we saw it, we were like, ooh, that's quite cool. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's certainly something to explore. Um, I mean, again, it would be, you know, we would want that to be money that went into the sustainability index and how you distribute that. So, um, again, if you're talking about 10% tax, I think it works out at 160 million a year or something like that, um, which, again, if you look at how that could be distributed down the pyramid, then, you know, it's a massive change towards towards what football could do. Um, you, you then, if you couple that with abolition of the sustainability of the, the um, parachute payments, then you're looking at a massive change in football. Um, and the, the Premier League moaning about it is a bit of a, a rich one when they've just signed a £323 million a year, £323 million a year deal with an American TV rights, so forget domestic TV rights. Um, that is, I'm right in thinking, £213 million more than any other here football league. So more than the Liga, more than the Bundesliga, more than, you know, you could put the Bundesliga, I think you could put the Bundesliga, La Liga, and um, uh, the French League combine all of that, and that's the Premier League gets more than those three combined from American TV rights. So when they go, oh, it's going to make us, you know, not have our proper say over football, that's just absolute tosh because they're already completely dominant. Um, so you know what we're doing is we're helping clubs down the league, and then you think about what does that do for football? You know, if you give, if you have football clubs all their down the league getting properly paid. Can you imagine Bristol Rovers? Suddenly you've got uh, a community programme that is you know, among the best, you know, way among the, a brilliant high standard. If you're talking about academy standards suddenly being risen dramatically, you're talking about uh, facilities at Rovers, you know, that sort of stuff. And that's happening at every single club. That makes football such a much more better, better proposition to the whole nation means better quality players it means more people going through gates it means you know as a healthier game overall it should be a no-brainer you know it's going to benefit the Premier League massively by having such a stronger pyramid about the whole system and um, you know and you're basically just left with the only argument against it is complete self-interest so I found I loved in a really walked way the comments that were coming out from Aston Villa and Leeds United and Crystal Palace I think I can't remember which one of them it was that called uh, Tracy Crouch a Maoist. And like, you know, you're calling a conservative backbencher a Maoist. Really? <laughs> we're, yeah, we're going to come on to some of the uh, the pushback, the inevitable pushback from the, um, the Premier League. So we'll just power through the last um, couple of uh, recommendations I wanted to cover. Uh, one of them was that women's football should be treated with parity and given its own dedicated review to guarantee its future in recognising the... Uh, its future recognising the significant steps taken forward in recent years, but also the unique challenges facing the game. Great that it's been kind of broken out into its own thing because it's obviously its own massive and massively growing thing. Will Fair Game be involved in that review as well? We're looking to get more and more involved into women's football. Um, you know, we're, we're holding a big event on the 8th of March uh, or to celebrate International Women's Day and it's going to be a celebration of women's role within football and how we can look at helping it grow. Um, at the moment, we haven't got any women's clubs as part of Fair Game. And it's something that are, we're concerned about really wanting to reach out and trying to get more women's clubs involved. 
the issue of fit is that all the clubs in the, the Super League are connected with Premier League clubs. So it's not quite as straightforward as we'd like. So you're left with, when we're talking to Lewis and some other clubs as well that are much more recognised in the women's game. So I think there is there is a need for it. There is a need to, to look at how we can help it grow and how we can make sure it's embedded. My view is that there's also a big need to try and break down some of the intrinsic sexism that still exists within uh, you know, men's football and within the terraces that we have. Um, I wouldn't want to be in a situation where um, you know, the women's game is seen as a, a place just for women and the men's game is seen as a place just for men in terms of spectators. You know, they are kind of different styles of football for both of them. And what we need to be looking at is it being a place where it doesn't matter who's, you know, whether you're a woman or a man watching either game, um, you know, you should feel really comfortable. And I think that's really important that we move towards that equality. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because we've just been talking to, you know, Everton have just come aboard as late to her game two club. You look at 100 years ago when the terrace, the, uh, you know, the women's game was getting fans and supporters that were not far up akin to the men's game. You know, we're talking in tens of thousands and the record attendances and stuff like that that were happening then. Um, so we need to look at encouraging it. There's no kind of, there should be no sense that it couldn't grow and it couldn't be as big. We need to realise that and grasp that as a concept. Grasping it as a concept is the first step. Uh, you know, it's interesting to watch where we're going. I mean, uh, AFC Wimbledon's ladies team are, I think, we're something like 30, 30th in, in the country or something like that, or 35th or something. And that's actually above where the men's team are in terms of the ranking. You know, so, you know, you need to think about where, where you can go and what you can achieve. It's, a, it's an interesting one because it it's, it's a bit more than a blank sheet of paper, but, you know, we need to be a bit of blue sky thinking here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last recommendation I wanted to cover was that the welfare of players exiting the game needs to be better protected, uh, particularly at a young age, and all stakeholders should work together on improving this, including the provision of proactive mental health care and support. What kind of things do you think that would involve? Yeah, again, this isn't one of the ones. Interesting, this is, you know, all the recommendations you mentioned, this one wasn't one that we covered. We didn't cover much about the women's game. We did a bit, but not much. But the um, the ethos of fair game and the kind of our uh, our principles totally reflect that in that in the idea of caring about people that have got involved in the game and making sure that you have the right support mechanisms in place. So it, it totally goes on with what we what um, what we kind of stand for. Um, I think one of the key things is that you've got a lot of times where people are just spat out and they go through the system and, you know, you do have a lot of mental health issues. You do have a lot of kind of elements about that. And I think this is where you need to look at uh, the holistic view of what football provides, you know, and what it can do in terms of, uh, you know, physical well-being, but also the kind of idea of the ethos of what goes within football. So the idea that it's part of a community, you're kind of doing something that's, out there and you're, you're opening up other opportunities. Football isn't just about 11 people on a pitch on a Saturday. You know, there are so many backroom staff. There are all the people on the terraces. There are all the people that provide uh, the equipment for a, a club. There are people that help run the coaches, all that sort of stuff. There's lots of opportunities to have a career in football um, rather than just be a player. And I think we need to look at opening those up and realising that 
it's an industry that's got so much more going for it. And I think that's the kind of benefit that we need to look towards and providing that support and mechanisms. We're not the experts at Fair Game um, dealing with mental health. We know there are other people we champion and we have been standing side by side and shoulder to shoulder with the people that want to implement those elements into it. I think it's a really key part of football going forward. Um, not necessarily the big one for Fair Game. No. Um, could it be another addition to the sustainability index for like how you treat people who essentially at a young age you might not they might not be good enough or like when they're retiring how you kind of help them transition back into into normal life i think it would come under the good governance element so yeah that's in there um and i think you probably have a little, a little bit of eg and i in there as well so there are elements that would be covered in there if you looked at probably b corp and saying well what do you mean about uh well-being of staff that that falls in so those are all the main the main ones I wanted to pick out. Uh, there are quite a few that we haven't spoken about. I wanted to ask you if there are any others that you were particularly excited about, but I wanted to just jump in and say that, as you mentioned right at the top, uh, I was very interested to see that drinking in view of the pitch could come in at our level, not so much at your level because, you know, League One, I think the cutoff is, is League One. Um, were there any, any other ones that you wanted to pull out uh, that were in the in the report that you really got excited about. I mean, I think it's financial distribution is the big thing. Um, I mean, that's in there. And uh, well, we are. Uh, uh, for those those listening in, it's currently half one on New Year's Eve uh, when this is being recorded, right? So um, the bit was that it said that it was up to the EFL and the Premier League they had until midnight tonight to come out with a solution on how to look at the financial distribution of football. So I make that they've got, um, what what is it, 10 and a half hours um, to sort it out. And at the moment, they're, they're not close. So uh, come tomorrow morning, it could be that we're now, we'd be looking at um, uh, an external consultation process about how football's wealth should be redistributed. Um, my view is that actually that should go to uh, a regulator. It should be, you know, our sustainability index. You should look at a whole load of stuff. I'd happily, you know, give me the job. I'd happily take that job. I'd love to know what I'd do with it. Um, so that's quite an interesting one. Uh, to be honest, we didn't really trust the Premier League and the EFL to, to come out with the, the best solution, largely because I mean, the Premier League, are, uh, the Premier League's a weird one because you shouldn't treat it as um, Premier League clubs because they're all they've actually got quite a lot of different opinions in there. They're not all, they don't speak as one. But, so we wouldn't really necessarily trust them because there's quite a lot of self-interest in there. And the EFL has a problem with its voting structure in the sense that it's weighted heavily towards the, the top eight or nine clubs in the championship. So until that's uh, sorted out, then they're in a really tricky situation. I think the EFL individuals who uh, run it uh, are probably are very supportive of the sustainability index, but they're hamstrung a bit by their clubs um, at the top end and the way the way voting works. So come tomorrow uh we could be left with somebody else completely looking at it and that would be brilliant to give a real fresh set of eyes and say okay we need to really address that so that's my big thing that's my big extra bit that i'd say like that's interesting because that was in the fan lib review saying right you've got until midnight on new year's eve um so let's see what happens tomorrow yeah um if I actually get my shit together, this might even go out this afternoon. So anyone who's listening and it's still New Year's Eve, going to be checking Twitter at midnight and uh, seeing what's coming out of the Premier League. Um, 
like you mentioned, there has been some pushback. Uh, it was Angus Kinnear, the Leeds chief executive, the first out of the traps to speak against the report, uh, in particular IREF and the transfer levy. Uh, here's what he said, and I'll quote it verbatim. Football is a private sector business and has flourished that way, enforcing upon football a philosophy akin to Maoist collective agriculturalism will not make the English game fairer. It will kill the competition, which is its very lifeblood. Uh, what do you think of that? I love that quote. One of the best quotes you can ever have is saying, like, what is rotten in football? Well, it's a bunch of self-interest idiots at the top end. And lo and behold, here we've got uh, Leeds. And I think Leeds fans will find it immensely amusing considering their own personal history. You know, it doesn't take a genius to go, right, well, Leeds, how well run have you been in the past? And you're kind of saying you're the beacon of, like, fantastically well-run football clubs. Answer, no. Um, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's, a, it's the irony there is just huge. Um, you know, I mean, it's a club that nearly went out of business that tumbled down the league that has a whole shed loads of rotten owners in the very recent past. Um, so to them to say, right, uh, you know, football is really well run and it's a fantastic private sector industry. Well, hold on. Didn't you nearly go? Um, you know, so like actually clearly it's not. Um, so uh, and then when you talk about it, saying, right, are you you petrified of regulation? So is this the same same kind of thing that you've got? Uh, Right, we've got regulated banks. Are they not a well-run private sector business? So you've got, then you've got your schools, your healthcare, all of that are regulated. And I, what I love most is your your um, your food and uh, your food industry is, is regulated. At the moment, uh, this is one of my favourite little quotes. This is really a banana is more protected than a football club. Right, that's the reality. It's got more regulation and more supportive stuff. You're going to get more. You more health have a banana, you know, where that's actually done with than a football club. So, you know, frankly, Leeds United, really, are you kind of saying that actually a banana needs to be better protected than you do? Um, you know, that's and that's where we're at. It's 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 a it's a complete load of nonsense what he says. But um, you know, and if you're talking about it, if it's going to be detrimental to the game, you know, we've already talked about what that investment within the game from redistribution could do. You know, it's a complete upsurge in how football is operated lower down the pyramid. And it would be, there is, I say this without even a, a kind of, a doubt, any doubt in my mind, it would be transformational. It's that simple. Um, you know, how much would it mean to like a club like, you know, like Rovers, but also you know, think of the clubs in the National League, in in. League One, National League North, uh, National League South, you know, what it means to them to have suddenly have really good community assets, great little local stadium, you know, having a really good academy. And we worked it out that I think a one parachute payment would pay for what was it? Um, I think it's like 70 different Agri 3 academies for a year. Wow. So Imagine if you took that and just said, oh, well, you know, we're just going to invest in academies. So, you know, I mean, uh, category three is basically what you get with some of the championship clubs, but certainly all League One and League Two would be category three if they were really, you know, able to. Some of them aren't even that. But it would also be at that level, you're then looking at, right, National League clubs and National League North and South League having category three status. And the quality of coaching and players that would come through, can you imagine what that would mean? You know, you're talking about a suddenly a massive national pool of talent, um, which would mean the national team 
in four or five years hence will be a, a force to reckon with every single year. That, as you can, as everybody knows, the direct parallel to the success of the England team to the success of the Premier League, it's, 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 it's clear. But you know that's that's what could happen. Um, one parachute payment. Remember, there's six or nine, actually nine classic parachute payments. So, what are we looking at? Yeah, you only have to look at the England team and how many of those have actually come through the EFL, or you know, even lower. Some of them. It's not just getting kids into Premier League academies and then they'll become England stars. A lot of them have worked their way through through the leagues, and if they can start at that higher base of coaching, then yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So now the report's been out a few weeks. There's been some pushback from the Premier League. Um, do you expect more, or do you think this is um, all that we're going to get off of uh, the, the? I think it's Steve Parish and the Aston Villa guy, and then the Leeds guy as yeah. well. I would fully expect there to be more. I think a lot of it will now be it'll be political lobbying. So we're behind the scenes stuff. They'll be looking at uh, targeting DCMS number ten and really trying to get their ear. Um, you know, and it's a populist government, so they'll 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 listen to some of that. This is where it comes down to Rovers fans and Fitty fans everywhere to say, right, well, the key is get your MP on board. You know, we're going to be pushing out a, a pledge card in the new year. We want every single MP to sign that pledge card, you know, do a little selfie with themselves, saying, I back fair game, I back the fan review. And that's what we need. We need all those commitments because when it comes down to it, it's going to be a vote in the House of Commons that's going to decide the future of our game. And we also need to make sure that it is one of the priorities in the Queen's speech. So that it's, it's listed as potential legislation and MPs back it. And then, then it happens. And... Let's think about this timescale. It's short, right? So potentially we could be looking at the Queen's speech in May listing fan level review. We could be looking at legislation being discussed, you know, second half of 2022. We could be looking at that passing through and football being officially and legally on a path to a completely different way that we've never seen before. That's how close we are. We are really close. Um, but people need to step up to the plate now. And it's not just their game. It's every single Bristol Rovers fan. It's every footy fan everywhere to put that pressure on, to make sure that their clubs are massive advocates for it, and to make sure that every single politician, whether it's a local councillor, an MP, you know, assembly member in Wales, an MEP, whatever, not MEP anymore, my life, <laughs> um, you know, all of that, every single one of them backs it. You know, your mayors, they all should be backing it. Um, the more unified we get, the likelihood of having the situation where Bristol Rovers get that three million quid extra a year become financially sustainable and that people walk down the street wearing a Rovers shirt, proud and everything that club stands for. Sounds amazing. Um, so, but it's so close. Yeah. You know, for me, I didn't dream of this when I, when I started this back in February, right? We're, we're that close. That's how much has happened in the last last nine months. It's so close and it is a once in a lifetime chance. You know, we we have to grasp it. We can't let it slip through our fingers. That's the hardest bit now. It's like, don't just go, oh, yeah, I heard this is really great, blah, blah, blah. You've got to put your shift in. You know, every single person's got to put their shift in in the next you know, seven or eight months because it can happen. We are so close to it. You know, it's not some weird pipe dream. I have lots of people go, yeah, yeah, you know, look at it. And they're going, but it's not a pipe dream. It's, it, we are really close to reality. 
So, you know, pretty shifty. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Speaking of putting a shift in, uh, a little birdie told me you are looking for a regional organiser in the southwest. What does that involve? Okay, that's uh, basically it's after a brilliant gas head making sure right that uh, all the clubs in the in the southwest of, of England um, are like connected and know what's happened with their game. You know, you're liaising with the media managers in those clubs and making sure that that publicity goes out there and you're doing that. It's not a, a massive task, but it's also reaching out to some of the other clubs in the southwest and saying, right, okay, you know, get on board, roads are on board, why aren't you on board? It might mean you have to speak to Bristol City. I mean, but like you know, it's, it's 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 a hard hard job. You can probably put them on, like, you know, low down the list, perhaps if you want. <laughs> you know, but it's it's like talking to, um, you know, making sure Exeter potentially on board, but also, you know, some of the other clubs in the National League South that are around around Bristol, making sure that they're kind of getting on board, encouraging uh, fans and people like that to kind of really champion it at every opportunity. That's basically what it means. It's it's not a, a big task. It is just checking in, checking in with the Rovers board, saying, is there anything else that we can do to help? Um, how do you feel? Is there any kind of support that you need? And then if that is, you report back to us and we try and uh, get back onto you and say, come on, Gassets, uh, get on board. We need this, this or this. Um, you know, it, that's what it's about. Lovely stuff. It's easy. And you can, you can, all you've got to do is email me and just say, oh, I quite fancy having a go at <laughs> At, uh, you know, being that, that Southwest rep, uh, you know, just checking in with a few clubs, uh, maybe coming out with some clever ideas on how to push it on social, that sort of stuff. Yeah, sounds really good. And if anyone is interested listening to this, how, how do they go about, is it just email you? What's your Yeah, yeah, address? you can email me. So my problem is I've got a really ridiculously stupid surname that's misspelled all the time. Um, so uh, it is Niall, N-I-A-L-L. As in Quinn, for those of you who remember that person, dot Cooper, it's C O U P E R, so it's Cooper with a U in it for random reasons that I will never understand. At, and because I'm a Wimbledon fan, it's the Don's Trust.org. Um, if that's a bit too hard to remember, then you can just go straight onto our website, fairgameuk.org, and you'll be able to see all of the details on there. I'd say we are getting new email addresses the next, uh, next week or so, but that Don's Trust one is still always valid for me. Lovely stuff. Um, well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for today. Obviously, New Year's Eve, you're all going to go out and get drunk. I've got the Rona, so I'm going to stay in as we discussed. I'm going to probably just put something on Netflix and drink myself. Lonely, silly, but that's, that's by the by. So thank you very much for your time, Niall. And thank you, uh, Gasheads, for listening. I hope this chat has enlightened you as, it much, as much as it has me. And all that's left for me to say is up the gas. Good luck, Bristol Rovers. <laughs> <laughs>